Hello, and welcome to the Den of Geek Book Club podcast. My name is Katie Burt. I am the books editor at denofgeek.com, and today I am talking with Corey McCarthy and Amy Rose Capetta, the authors of Once in Future, a young adult sci-fi reimagining of Arthurian legend that hits bookshelves March 26th. Corey and Amy, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Thanks for having us. Yes, happy to be here. So first of all, for listeners who haven't read Once in Future, which will probably be most people, it's just it's just hit bookshelves. Can you tell us a bit about the premise of the book? Sure. Um, Once in Future is about Ari, who is the 42nd reincarnation of King Arthur and the first girl in the line. And she lives in a future uh, where humanity has scattered throughout the universe. So she has to, uh, after she takes on the mantle of uh, King Arthur, she ends up facing the big bad of that universe, which is a corporation gone rampant. Um, and she meets Merlin, who is now having aged backwards, as Merlin does in the Arthurian canon. He is finally a teenager, and he is not very happy about it. <laughs> and they um, meet all of their knights and have uh, many adventures. So, yeah, that's sort of the main the main idea. It's a very it's a very similar story to the King Arthur canon, but it's told in a very, very different way with very, very different characters. Um, yeah. So yeah. Or different versions of characters that you that you yeah. might know from the Queer canon. gender bent King Arthur in space. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and as someone who obviously knows some of um, King Arthur, you know, canon, but I wouldn't say a lot, it was cool. Even you know, as, as someone in the middle of that spectrum of canonical knowledge, to to have characters come in and recognize them and see how you um, you know reimagine them for this world. So I'm I am curious where the idea for the story began. Are you are you both like big King Arthur fans? Like what? Yeah, where did this start? I think we're both we're both definitely big King Arthur fans. This is something that I have been dreaming about since I was a very small person. Um, I have always loved, I mean, you know, I grew up with Sword in the Stone, um, Disney's version, and then found T.H. White, and then found all the other ones, um, and I just kept waiting for someone to do Girl King Arthur. It seemed mm-hmm. like a no-brainer. <laughs> um, I was, I was just like, you know, every year we get a new book or a new movie or TV show with the King Arthur being retold. And yet we never really see them change the story or update the story to reflect, um, you know, contemporary reality. I think uh, Guy Ritchie's King Arthur was the last straw for me. Yes, I reviewed <laughs> that like, for work. I, I can relate to this <laughs> sentiment. Yeah, I was like, but you could have done something a little different. And if you hadn't, I mean... Even though I watched the trailer and was like, no, this is going to be terrible. I still had to watch the movie because it's King Arthur. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been dreaming about doing girl a girl King Arthur um, in space. And um, Amy Rose was always like, you got to write it. You got to write it. And I was like, no, I'm sure J.K. Rowling or Neil Gaiman will get to it first. <laughs> And then and then they didn't. And they so, didn't. So after a couple of years of this back and forth, I was like, no, you really need to write it, if only so that I can read it, because I want that book. Yeah. And so I actually ended up one just one of these conversations just sitting on the couch. I just I just looked at Amy Rose and was like, OK, well, I'll write it if you write it with me. And and then it really snowballed from there. I mean, like nine months later, we had a book deal. Wow. So. Yeah, it kind of it, it it took off. It took it took on a life of its own, which I think 
partly comes from the fact that the story already has um, has its own life, you know, that the King Arthur canon is so exciting and to dive into it was a little bit intimidating but also really really exciting and and for me I'd always been a big fan of characters who were sort of um a little bit to the side of the canon I'd always loved Guinevere and Merlin and um the Enchantresses and Avalon and I'd always been very very intrigued by the secondary characters but maybe not as interested in King Arthur himself Mm -hmm. and Corey's was the first to sort of get me reinterested in King Arthur and what that, who that character is and why we keep coming back to this legend over and over and over again. So it was really fun to sort of balance my love for the side characters with actually um, in, investing in that part of the story for the first time, investing in the hero. Yeah, it does have such a good ensemble cast of characters. And I did think it was interesting that you chose to have a dual perspective with both Ari and Merlin as, um, you know, points of view protagonists. So I'm curious why you chose that and why you felt you needed both of these characters' points of view. You know, I don't think that's a question anyone has asked us yet. Yeah. So you get yes, <laughs> the scoop. points for that one. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was sitting on one, I had written one chapter many, many years ago about this sort of lanky girl who crashed her spaceship on old earth and pulled this sword out of a tree. And that's all I had. Um, so when I asked Amy Rose to write this book with me, I showed her that chapter and I was like, okay, you know, and, and I said, Oh, the other, you know, the other kind of main character is Merlin. And I don't know if I, I don't remember. Do you remember (laughs) you, you said, I think that Merlin would need to be the other, you know, if you're, if you're, if we're going to write yeah. this together, I think Merlin would need to be the other point of view character. Um, and I, I went off into the bedroom for about two hours and came back with, yeah. with a chapter and I, and I don't know where it came from. I think, um, there was some part of me that's just always been, been waiting to write a queer teen mage, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I had so much fun with it. And and I think there was something about tapping into this character who's been part of the story the whole time because mm-hmm. you have you have the future I mean we, we Corey and I are always saying that once in future is you know, it's part of the T. H. White tradition of the story, but it's also describes our main characters because Merlin is the past of the story and Ari is the future. And so by having the two of them, you you really get both the continuation of the story from the very beginning. You get someone who's always been in it, and you get someone who's brand new to it. And what are those two perspectives look like? And how do they how do they have like what's the tension there? And what yeah. happens when you put them together? <laughs> yeah, that was particularly it was it was definitely a dramatic choice for the book because we we were thinking about Merlin, this 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 old storied beloved character being dropped into this future of identity freedom and rampant capitalism. And we were having a lot of fun with that. And then, you know, without giving too many spoilers away, the sequel is the inverse of that. <laughs> yes. Um sure characters get dropped into a very different kind of situation. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, it makes sense. I mean, Merlin is such a fascinating character here and because there's this tension in him between, you know, he can remember all of his previous incarnations, but he's also, um, and there's my cat. <laughs> he's also a, you know, in a teenager's body. And he, there's all these moments that I love where he 
knows that he is reacting to something that like his teenage body is feeling and he's kind of annoyed about it, but he also feels it, you know, and that just feels so precocious teenager in a way that I think a lot of people who are reading this book probably could relate to. Um, Yeah. In a lot of ways it felt like it was a perfect way to express all of the things that I'd felt when I was in teenager, because you get to that point and you're like, everything that's happening to me right now is so rude yeah, and it yeah. should be happening. <laughs> and so much of it feels out of my control. But at the same time, you feel like, you know, so much more about the world than like, than anyone will give you credit for. Mm-hmm. And so all of this is just like wrapped up in this uh, situation that Merlin is, is in. And it's just this way to dramatize what it actually felt like to me to be a teenager so that was really fun to get to do that through through that character's perspective yeah and in shaping Ari's character how much of her was informed by qualities that you felt were characteristic of King Arthur if at all was that something that you kept in mind or were you like this is this is a a totally new character we're you know we're gonna do what we want what the story needs um, Ari is really based on what if I crash landed. <laughs> sure, I mean Ari is very much outside of gender. Ari is very much me, and um, I think that there were times later on in the drafting process where we realized that this character who who is, could not lie is a very actual like King Arthur trait. Um, you know, the mm. King Arthur we we have sort of we've sort of accepted this idea that king arthur was a great king but if you actually read the stories he wasn't um he was terrible (laughs) yeah he was he had a really wonderful supporting cast but there wasn't that much to him um and you know he he was he was uh over emotional and indecisive and there's all these there's all these wonderful things that come up in all the different king arthur stories and so I'm kind of glad that we never actually tried to make Ari like King Arthur. No. We made Ari like, I kind of wanted the, the King Arthur story, but a very different main character. Um, you know, and so she's, you know, she's an immigrant. She's on the run. Um, she, you know, instead of having this very uh, toxic relationship with her adoptive family, like King Arthur had, um, she loves her brother, Kay. Um who was one of the most fun characters to write. <laughs> definitely. Um, yeah. So I, I think, I think maybe it's just, yeah, I think she's, I think she's different. I think she's something new. And I think the only thing that she kind of has in common when you come down to it is that in some way they're both. They're Reluct- reluctant, reluctant heroes. Reluctant heroes. Yeah. yeah. They, neither of them really wants that mantle and, you know, seeing, seeing her have to take it on is, is interesting. She's yeah. got this, she's got this purity of, and, of honesty to her yeah. that yeah. is that is, that is hard to maintain for someone who ha- has a lot of um, power and watching someone struggle with that is, is, is interesting for sure. There's also a really, there's also a really weird, like kind of fun duality that we noticed, which was that if you go back and you just, just rewatch the sword and the stone, the Disney version, the end of the movie is so sad. Oh, no. it, it's, you watch it as an adult. Literally, there's an 11 year old King Arthur in in a throne room by himself, and everyone is yelling "Yay, King Arthur! Long live the king!" and he and he has no one to talk to, and he's so miserable. 
And it's so sad. And that was, I remember rewatching that with our kid once the book was well on its way and being like, well, they do have that in common because once, once they're like, okay, Ari, you're going to save us all. She's like, no, that sounds terrible. (laughs) Yeah. And how isolating power can be even, you know, for the people who have it or have the potential to have it. Um, which speaking of which, tell me about how you extrapolated out like humanity's future into this world because, or if that's even how you see it, because Mercer, this corporation that's like slowly taking over the universe planet by planet feels, you know, very relevant to our current reality. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Reading, reading far into this. (laughs) Um, yeah, there was, there's something, there's something kind of cathartic about getting to, to acknowledge um, how bad it's getting and how bad it could get, because I think sometimes we're supposed to not, not look at it. Yeah. Um, and, and so to just kind of stare it in the eye and, and, and name, sort of name this as the, um, as a force of, uh, of bad in the universe. And, and also just the fact that it's, it's, it's evil dressed up as necessity. Yeah. Um, that Mercer talks sometimes about how they, they've kept everyone alive in a scattered universe. And they have like that part of it isn't false, Yeah. but it's the price that you pay for, for having someone take that role. And once they have that power, it's so hard to unseat it. Once they have that power, it's so hard to challenge it or, 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 or make it um, better for people in any way. Uh, so, so what do you do next? So, One of yeah, the, yeah, continue. Oh, and I was just going to say like a lot of the, so the, 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 our overarching, you know, Mercer company, it looks like a lot of the monstrous sort of corporations that we have right now. And the, but like when we stepped back, the, the smaller pieces of Mercer were definitely based on real contemporary things. We wrote, the scenes about Heritage Mall, which is this huge flying spaceship mall that's parked outside of Old Earth so people can come and pay to look at Old Earth and then buy stuff. Um, That was based off of a trip going to, we went to um, Niagara Falls. Mm. And like we tried to do something that wasn't capitalism in Niagara Falls and it didn't exist. It was like, can't even see the falls without paying for it and that was the, that really informed like this is this is just an extension of what we're already doing yeah this isn't um, just where we're headed it's it's, it's already it's where we are yeah. yeah it's already where we are one this of the most we- terrifying and brilliant examples of that for me in the book was i think when they're on troy and there's that detail of everyone who lives there has to buy a certain amount of uh, yeah, consumer goods or services every day. Yeah, that just felt like a little mini episode of Black Mirror in the middle of <laughs> this, you know, pretty terrifying reality in general. Yeah, I think that I think I just wrote that on a day where I felt like there's there's just no there's no getting through a day right now without having to pay. But there's no there's no it's like the toll of existence right now, and and it's just. Um, that's already part of our everyday. Yeah. I mean, we have to be active on Twitter every day if we want Twitter to make people see our posts. Mm-hmm. Um, there are already, you know, 
they're already controlling how much you're going to interact with them. Um, yeah. So again, that was just an extension of what we were already doing. Right. Yeah. And I'm making, I think this question or my last few questions have made this sound like a very like dark read and there are dark aspects to it, but it's really funny. It's fun. It's action oriented. And there's this hope um, and freedom in reading it because there are so many um the diverse characters just within this core group and they're all characters, you know, they're not just someone that you meet along the way that doesn't actually get anything to do. And I think often when you read that something is, you know, gender bent fiction, it might give us like one gender swapped character. But, um, I was, when I was writing this question, I was like, I called it a panoply of queerness. (laughs) There's just so much, there's so much in this book. And so I'm curious about when you, what, I guess what it felt like to populate this world with such diversity and, um, I don't know. Yeah. What that process looked like when you were imagining the different identities of, of these characters. We def we def for the Knights of the Rainbow, we definitely set out to encapsulate our own friend groups. Mm-hmm. Um, just looking around at the people we hang out with and how we're all very, very different. And then just trying to make our secondary and our tertiary characters as interesting as our friends are. And then another large part of that is that we do a lot of school visits and we go in and we meet with GSAs and we see these, these groups of queer kids, queer high schoolers, and they're all different and they're all wonderful. And we just wanted to make sure that they had a book that there's not one of them in the book. Yeah. You know, cause we have a lot of those. We have a lot of token, uh, to- token queer um, characters. Token in queer characters. Token <laughs> books, <so>. If you will. <laughs> No, Tolkien didn't even go there. I think, yeah, to us, it felt very natural. Like, I think sometimes there's an expectation that, you know, you have to stretch to, to create these mm. these characters. And I think to us, it it would have been a stretch to not have a panoply of queerness. Yeah. <laughs> And, and a very, you know, a varied group of, of friends and people who populate this story. And also, you know, you're dealing with, a story based on the Knights of the Round Table, which is maybe Western civilization's first nod to first first real real fictive nod to equality. Mm-hmm. Equality, but as long as you're a cis dude, right? And so back then, noble stance, right? So back then, it was very very conditional, and yeah. like, what if it wasn't conditional? Yeah, yeah, that's what that looks like now. Hopefully, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I'm curious about your how your writing partnership works, because obviously you've both written things separately. And you mentioned that this took like nine months to do. Is that faster than when you're working on something on your on your own? And how does it work logistically in the sense like do you have a document open and you're both contributing or is it you have you know, you break the story and you have different beats and you kind of break that up and do your own thing? Well, we definitely have two stages to writing these books. Um so the first stage, the rough draft stage, is where we kind of talk out everything. We plot out all the plot points, and then we each write one point of view character. So I write all of the RE chapters, and Amy Rose writes all the Merlin chapters. Um, after that first draft, it gets a lot more uh, seamless in that one of us will be working on a large section at a time. And we edit each other's work heavily and we do not use track changes. So we have, we have created a lot of trust between us to, (laughs) 
to fix and change and update and work on continuity. And, yeah. and I think for us, it was nice because as uh, the trust was already there to a large degree. I mean, we've, we've known each other as writers for 10 years and we've been together for five years and we've always looked at each other's multiple drafts and edited for each other. And so this was just kind of the next natural step, which was nice. We didn't really have, there wasn't a big leap toward towards, well, you know, now we have to revise things together. Um, we, we were already halfway there. And so to be able to just say, okay, make it better. I trust you. <laughs> yes. It's really freeing. And it also makes it so that the book can be its own thing. Yeah. And we have different strengths too, which is nice. So uh, we, we both know that like Amy Rose is going to work on, you know, some of the dialogue and the language and the metaphors and the characters. And I'm always going to be um, moving characters around I, I do a lot of stage direction hmm. and a lot of plot. I, you know, I, I will, I'm the one that buds into the middle of the wonderful banter scene and is like, but where's the plot? Going? <laughs> it's like the bone, the bones of the story. Yeah. The stage directions. I can't tell you how many times I would put somebody in the spaceship and Corey would be like, where are they in the spaceship? And I'd be like the hold. And, and then it was like, um, what, that doesn't even exist. That doesn't even exist. <laughs> that's, that's, half, that's half the spaceship away from the person they're talking to in the cockpit, and they'd be yeah. like, mm, "I have to, I have to take yeah. a little run at this." And you're like, so "Is this a good yeah. joke that they're telling?" <laughs> yeah. They're always, they're always hearing someone from the other room, and I'm like, "That is like a football field away." <laughs> That is such a, that I can really relate to that. That's, or I, I think I need that skill in my life too. I'm, I'm get like caught up in the small details and sometimes forget those more like logistical concerns. So that's cool that, that those two, those two, uh, perspectives meld, meld together for this. Yeah, it's good. We've definitely leaned on each other for these things. Like I won't, you know, at this point we know, uh, Amy Rose will get to a point where it's like a battle and it needs a lot of characters moving around. And she'll just, she'll just like, all right, you'll do that later. (laughs) (laughs) So you mentioned the sword and the stone, and this is my own selfish question um, that I wanted to ask, because I am a fan of uh, the BBC's problematic but delightful Merlin. And I was curious if either of you had watched it. Um, I watched it many years ago, and I am also a fan and then Amy Rose and I have been watching it off and on with our seven-year-old uh, about the last four months or so. Yeah. So it's definitely Amy Rose hadn't seen I hadn't it. Seen it before? No. Um, and I think we stopped. We stopped watching King Arthur things when we were working on it because we didn't want it to be too close mm. to. Anyone. We wanted it to draw on everything, but not be too close to any of them. So we didn't, you know, we didn't read the once in future can't reread it, but right before we worked on this and stuff like that. So the actor who plays Merlin is delightful. Oh, Oh, I was going to say, I love his ears, which I, like, is that, (laughs) I you know, these are important details. They are. Yes. Our seven year old is really into the show, which is really cute right now. So it is that rare kind of like family adventure show that I think is not made as often now. So that's cool that you guys are all watching it together. You're all watching it together. Um, And I just wanted you to know that my headcanon for your story is that the incarnation when Merlin and Arthur were in love was just the BBC show. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) which, you know, takes its own level of reading between the lines. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> no, we're hoping that people will do that though, that they'll like see the different art there and start to, you know, we have yeah. we have ideas about who they might have been, but I want other people to have that freedom to imagine them too. Yeah. I, I can't <laughs> wait to hear people um once, you know, this is out, just chiming in on that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, can you talk at all about what you're working on right now? Is all of your time just completely taken up by, you know, you're about to, I think, go on book tour for this. So promotion for the book, or are you able to work on other projects as well? Um, we are completely overscheduled. Um, we're right now we are, yes, we're leaving on book tour tomorrow. So we're going to be in Massachusetts, New York city, New Orleans, Austin, Texas, and Santa Monica, California over the next five weeks. And a couple of things in Vermont too. Yes. Oh yeah. Vermont. I shouldn't forget the state we live. Um, <laughs> sorry, Vermont. And, yeah. And then, um, we're right now we're working on the revision of the, um, the sequel to once a future, which is called the sword in the stars. Mm, that's a good um, title. Thank you. We, you know, we were really overthinking it. We were trying to do some sort of one, you know, the, the something, something ampersand. Something. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we were driving and I was like, it's too bad. We just can't do the sword of the stars. And Amy Rose was like, why can't we? <laughs> we have that power. Yeah. Um, and then Amy Rose has a book coming out in, in May. May called The Lost Coast. And mm-hmm. that is very, very different, but very exciting. That is queer teen witches in the redwoods. It's contemporary fantasy instead of space fantasy. So you still have Mm -hmm. some elements that, um, you know, stay similar, but it's a different sort of, it's, it's a sort of a twisty atmospheric mystery with uh, magic in it as well. Yes. And that also sounds great. Yeah. And I'm, I'm also working on a middle grade series that is um, in a similar vein to once in future. So, um, highly inclusive, futuristic, fun and wacky ensemble cast, that sort of thing. And that will be coming out in 2020, the first book anyway. I'm not allowed to say what it's called yet, but I hopefully will be able to soon. Highly secret, middle grade. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And if you have, do you have any time to engage in stories that aren't the ones you're working on? Like, what are you a fan of right now? If, if you are a fan of something right now? Um, we're huge fans of what the show Winona Earp. Um, yes. yes, we actually just signed a copy of Once in Future for Emily Andrus. <gasps> so cool! And, like literally, like an hour before this call, we were like, we were like carefully writing out the thank you note. <laughs> you know, because we're such a big fan of that show. And when we were working on Once in Future, we kept watching the queer content in Winona and being like, "See, it's possible. It's po- it's possible." Oh. It can be done big epic genre show that has all of this in it that's feminist that has queer that has queerness in it that has yeah that's fun that's you know um just all of the things that we love in one place and I felt like we've been waiting a long time to see see all of those pieces coalesce um in a story that that someone else was telling like that and so yeah we we love that show but yeah yeah. you can enjoy it in a different way when it's not your own story obviously (laughs) oh yeah and we definitely, um, you know, we, we would, we have a, a huge dream that Emily would want to turn it into a TV show mm. and that Melanie Scrifano would play Morgana. Yes. And that oh is our, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got to do the Winona Earp. I got to, um, moderate the Winona Earp panel at San Diego Comic-Con last summer and <gasps> it was 
so cool. I do. Yeah. I'm like, I have to mention this. Um, yeah, I love that cast. I think Emily Endress is so creative and so kind and I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that that show figures is able to continue because it's a very stressful time right now. I know. I know we're, we're holding on. I, I have, I, it's gonna, it's gonna work out. I know yeah. it will. It better. Okay. Good. It, it's it's it decided. Work. Why? Sort of, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> sort of. We're, no, we're we're hopeful. We're very hopeful. Yeah, and um, we're we're just excited to see shows like that in the first place, and yes. and to be able to work on and and to be able to work on a book like this and put it out there um in the world right now means a lot to us for sure. There is a nod to Doc Holliday in the first scene of the sequel. Um, <laughs> okay. We'll just- out there yeah oh my gosh okay well that seems like a great note to end on because I'm sure both of you have lots of packing and preparation to do for your book tour but I wanted to thank both of you for being on the Den of Geek book club podcast um once in future is out tomorrow March 26th so go find it at your local independent bookstore if that is a thing that exists for you or elsewhere if not um and yeah where can people find you online um, or the best place to, yeah, just like keep up to date with what both of you are doing. Well, we are begrudgingly on Twitter. Um, <laughs> but, but if you really want to know, that's really just where we, we post information and stuff. But if you wanted to know more about who we are, um, as people and humans and books that we read and things that we love, I would highly suggest finding us on Instagram and we are just yeah. at Corey McCarthy and at Amy Rose Cupetta. So yeah, that gives a little glimpse of our life and our writing and all of the fun things that we, that's where we put the fun content. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And if you um, don't happen to have a local indie that you get to frequent right now, uh, you can always get signed copies of our books from our indie bear pond books in um, Vermont. So, and they ship and they ship anywhere in the U S and we will go in and sign it for you. Mm -hmm. So, well, thank you so much for talking with me today. Um, And thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you. Thank you so much.